I hope it's okay if I, I share this with you guys. But I'm scared. I mean, it's not every day that I'm scared. I just, you know, I've given a lot of messages before in my life, but never one about this. About Advent. When Barbara told me we were going to have Advent, and I was like, what? Golly, I've never done anything like that before. I mean, in all these years in pastoral ministry, I've done so many different services and things like that, but I have never done an Advent service, and I was just scared. Okay? Is it okay to be scared? Is it all right if I share that? You know, and it's really not, in the, you could blame the Quakers, but let's, don't, let's blame the Puritans. All right? All right, if you want to blame anybody on this, blame the Puritans. See, before even Quakers were even an idea in George Fox's head, the Puritans had already outlawed Christmas. It was against the law. Christmas was against the law. And maybe should be against the law when you think about it. It's, it's, you know, and the real reason why, why would the Puritans be against it, well, it's actually in the name itself. Christ Mass. Right? You know, why would Puritans... Well, gosh, the time of Mass is, were, is over, according to the Puritans, right? That's to be done away with. These are people who celebrated days of fasting and thanksgiving. Hold on, I, I, I'm... That's another holiday. Hold on. We, we moved on from Thanksgiving. That's a different tradition going on here. But anyway, that was the reason why. The real reason is, yeah, they didn't, they did, it was too Catholic, the idea of Christ's Mass or Mass of anything. And not only that, but it was also sort of this idea where people would get together and they would drink, and some of them would drink too much. And then, you know, and not only that, but the processions were a bit, they would think, idolatrous. And all these little images and things going by as well. As we, well, they would be the first ones to tell you December 25th was a Roman holiday before it was a Christian holiday. I mean, they'd say everything. But how about the Quakers? How come the Quakers never, I mean, what, what is the reason? Is it the same that the, it's, you know, they're pretty sober people, but they had a different reason for it. And I'm going to get into that. What was it about the Quakers that they didn't celebrate Christmas or Advent or something? What's that about? Well, before I do that, I want to say that I recently, just a couple of days ago, I went to a play. It was actually a reading of a play by Frank Levering. Right? I think I'm saying, is this Frank? Is it, yeah. And he is the son of Sam Levering, who owned a very famous apple and cherry orchard in Virginia, who's sort of a general old peacenick. And, you know, really, I think he was part of the creation of FCNL and all of these acronyms that we Quakers love a lot. Anyway, but his son wrote a play. He's a playwright and a screenwriter, and he wrote a play called The Great Dismal. I mean, if, you know, it doesn't sound like a very happy kind of play, but The Great Dismal, and it's about, uh, specifically, it's about a family struggle to deal with slavery, Specifically, a grandson's struggle to recognize in his own ancestry that they're both enslaved and uh, slave-owning people. And how does he reconcile that? Has anybody seen this at all? Has anybody seen this play? It's been going, it was at, uh, oh yeah, that's right, there you go, so she, yes. So, but anyway, so he has to reconcile this. He has to sort of figure out what it means for him. And his family does as well. 
And it's sort of crazy. John Woolman makes an appearance, played by our very own Max Carter. I tell you, he does a great job. And, uh, but it's, it's a really beautiful story of the struggles that Quakers had in the 1750s and 70s and to the modern world of how do we resolve that conflict of being both the people who would be the backbone for the Underground Railroad, of abolition and freedom, while also having a long history involved in the slave trade. It's the kind of thing, you know, it's a, it's a good story to think about. And anyway, not just... John Woolman, but George Fox and Margaret Fell make appearances in the play, if you're not aware. And it's a really interesting part. I don't know how they fit in exactly to the broader story, but they make an appearance, and it's amazing their relationship and all the details and stuff that I never knew about them. The research he did on this is incredible. But I thought about something. I thought about something as I was just sort of thinking, as I was getting this together, that... George Fox and Margaret Fell. You know, we do not know where George Fox is buried. Right? We do not know where he's buried at all. Like, we had an idea where he was buried. They had an idea, and they put a... They, of course, they didn't have gravestones for the early Quaker graves. But around 50 years or so after he died, they did put up a stone that they thought more or less he would be at. Anyway, a few hundred years after that, maybe 200 years after George Fox died, they were expanding the building near the thing, and the graveyard were sort of falling out, so they took a lot of the graves out, one of them did have leather pants on. Who knows? Anyway, they reburied them somewhere else in that cemetery, and then that was moved. Some of them were not buried. They were moved to another cemetery. We don't really know where he's buried. There is a marker, but we assume that he's not there. And I was thinking something. I mean, just an idea. Just an idea. If we could go out there and somebody have those little things, you know, that could measure the earth and the ground you know, just sort of disturbances, and we could say, George. <laughs> Quakers celebrating Christmas. <laughs> All right, Deep River Friends is going to light the Advent candle. I mean, just really listen. I think we would get some movement, and then we said, you know, as soon as we started singing, like, here comes Santa Claus, here... Oh, gosh. I mean, the disturbance would be remarkable. I mean, it's... it's he's rolling. That's what, that's what I said. He's rolling. Now, it's, that's not, it's sort of interesting to think about, but it's interesting all the things I learned about Quakers just by this play, and some of the things that I wanted to address, right, first off, is that one of the other names besides this, you know, we get the name Quakers because people were quaking in the early services. They were feeling the Spirit so strongly. But one of the other names for us, which is, I think, a really neat name, is we were Fox's Company of Dreamers. We were a company of dreamers. And I love that, that imagery and that name because on all of my time in ministry, in Quaker ministry, I've seen nobody quake. Right? Actually, one time. It was one time I saw a Quaker, a real Quaker. She's very old. She's very old. But she said something important. It was something we all needed to hear, and she was insistent we hear it. But that was just one time. But I've, I've, you know how many dreamers I've met that are Quakers? Almost all of them. Almost all of them have some sort of dream or one another if you ask them enough, or talk to them long enough. It's sort of a society of dreamers, 
I like it. One of the other names that they had for God, like to tell God, God Mar Margaret Fell called him the Father of Lights. I don't know what that means, but it sounds pretty cool. Frank seemed to imply that it, it was sort of reflected their understanding of the cosmos. The Father of Lights. And the last thing I thought was, again, it was so amazing to learn this stuff, is that when they had a word for soul or spirit, or if you wanted to use the, the Hindu term Atman, or the Jewish term Ruah, the divine breath, their word for that spirit or Holy Spirit, that word, the word they used was the eternal. So when they talked about their own inner spirit, they would say, the eternal speaks. Or the eternal is that. And it gives you a very different understanding of the way they sort of saw their relationship with God. I was just thinking about the question, if you were to say to somebody, how's your spirit doing today? You know, you say, how's your, how's your spirits? But like if you were the old Quakers, you'd say, how's your eternal doing? I don't know if that makes sense, really. I mean, because if you ask somebody how their eternal's doing, I mean, would it be different yesterday than it is today? Would it be different tomorrow than, I mean... The, the very notion, the idea with the eternal is that there is some, something that goes beyond time, individual day. You know, that's really what the Quakers were focusing on. They, don't, they, they would criticize the people who would focus on some time in the past, in a way. Like, oh gosh, I remember the very day I was baptized. But they were not living in the spirit at this moment, right now. Mm. And the way they saw that holidays were is if we were truly in an eternal relationship with God, a holiday to say, oh gosh, wait for Christmas to come or whatever, it's sort of confusing the whole thing. Eternal. What does it mean, eternal? I think I got a little bit of an idea. Does anybody live around Winston? Does anybody does anybody live in the Winston area around here? Okay, we got one Kernersville, a couple Kernersville folks. I don't know if you've ever been to Haynes Mall. You ever been to Haynes Mall? Around Christmas time? You'll find out about the eternal right there. <laughs> you wanna know about the eternal? Go see the traffic there. I mean, gosh, it's just infuriating. You know, like you come to a light and you just go, like literally like three cars and turns red again. Three cars. I remember I got up to one and I literally, I mean, I, oh gosh, it was red. Went right through. I didn't want to wait any longer. I was sick of waiting. And I went to Costco. Like I said, I was going to Costco. Have you ever, is anybody a Costco member here? Anybody go to Costco? Okay, we got some Costco members. If you know that, what you do is you have this little card that you have, and you basically have to show it to every human being in the store. Right? You do. Keep it on. You keep it on. Because you show it on the way to in. You show it just about to check out. You show it to check out. And then when you're leaving the store, you have to show it yet again. And I remember I was, God, the line to leave that store around Christmas, oh my Lord, it was going slow. I mean, forever, forever. 
uh, and it just was not moving whatsoever. And I was just, all I could do is just sort of think. People didn't seem to really want to have a conversation. Anyway, I was just thinking about the message and what I was going to share today, and I thought, gosh, Christmas is about waiting. You ever thought about that? Christmas is about waiting. I remember as a kid, I would just be waiting for Christmas. You know, every single day we got closer, I was marking off the days. Just marking them off, just waiting for Christmas. And I, and I just dreamed, oh, what's it going to be like when Santa eats my milk and cookies? I remember, wouldn't you wake up as early as you possibly could? Wake your parents up, and you know, you, well, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. Go down, see if the cookies were there. See if you got the really cool transformer, you know. Santa bring that one, not the stuff that mom usually got, the, you know, transformer that was like a flower or something like that. I remember we would wake up and we would just hope and pray and just, Hope we would have a white Christmas. And I remember one day, just one time, and all of that time, we had that white Christmas. And it was just amazing to wake up on Christmas Day and see white all around. Just amazing. Part of waiting. But see, it seems like nowadays I'm just sort of waiting in these lines. Just waiting. And waiting, those are the kind of waiting I get now, just sort of waiting in these long, terrible, these crazy lines. But I thought about something. There's a little bit of hope in a line. You don't realize that or think about it. It's sort of annoying because you're sort of feeling like you're wasting time, but yet slowly but surely, you get closer and closer to the front. That we're all sort of hope, we're in this line for the idea, the hope that by the end of it, after the credit cards and all this sort of stuff, all of that stuff, that at the end of this experience, there will be smiles on the faces of the people that we love. There's a reason for the waiting and the line. It's almost like a little bit like, a, I'm just imagining a seed planted in the ground and you wait for it to grow. You know, hope, we talked about it, is this week's uh, for Advent. Again, I didn't know about any of this stuff really on, you know, before we began this week, but I'm learning now. And that hope is this week. Now, there is not a universal Advent thing. It's not like you can, it's universally, this is exactly how. There are different ways that people celebrate it. But using these four different candles and, and talking about it, hope and joy and peace and love, this is very common. And so for many Protestant denominations, we start off with hope. But the interesting thing is the hope that we're talking about, or that they focus on, or we should focus on, is not the hope of Christmas. I came across wrong. It's not about the hope for really cool presents, like Transformers. Maybe a little. It's not the hope for a white Christmas even, or the, or the perfect Christmas carol. The general thing that you focus on for this particular Sunday is the hope in the second coming of Christ. That Advent, the coming of Christ, is what we need to focus on. And in fact, somebody told me that the scripture that they're focusing on this week in their church is that one that you'll find in Luke chapter 21 or Matthew chapter 24 that talks about being alert. Being alert because the kingdom of God is coming like a thief in the night. 
you know, literally you'll be walking, there it is. And it's the kind of thing you need to be alert and expectation for and hopefulness for. Pretty good. It reminds me a little bit about, there was a church one time when I was in Maine. It was called Shallow Baptist Church. And they had on them that you could, it ended up being a, a pretty crazy church, not a church. But anyway, they had built these two towers there. And these people lived in these towers. Or actually, you could pay for an hour of their time, and they would just scan the night sky, well, 24 hours a day, looking for the second coming. And I guess the idea was in 1922 or whatever, that as soon as they saw it, they would give you a call. And you would be the first to know. That'd be pretty cool. Well, of course, it didn't really work like that. See, for us Quakers, it's not so, it's not like that. We can't really look to the future like that. I remember I went to a Pentecostal church and, gosh, they talked about the end times. They were coming real soon. And they're always looking a little bit ahead. Quakers is not like that. The, the kingdom is in our midst. Have you ever heard that? The kingdom is in our midst if we would just open our eyes to it. If we would just wake up. But so often we just want to keep them closed. If we just opened our eyes and let the spirit shine, so to speak, we would see the kingdom around us. And if there's anything we need to be alert for, it's those opportunities that God will have for us to speak to us, to transform us, to share with the people that we love and transform our relationships. That Christ is coming into your life today, right now. And it can be transformative. And you don't need to wait a single moment more or look back in the past at an event. Right now, the kingdom is within you. And not only that, but it wasn't exclusive to Quakers, this understanding that God has come to speak to us right now at this moment. We don't need to wait anymore. It was available to everybody, not just the Quakers. It helps, okay? It helps. I'm not going to, okay, right? It doesn't hurt, right, to be a Quaker. But it was available to everybody, and one of the things we didn't get in the great dismal play that I would like to talk about more is how George Fox sought out the Native American communities and saw the light of God within them. Right? It's, it's everybody has it if we would just open our eyes to this understanding. And in this idea of anything in the future, so to speak, if we were going to project out into the future of Christ coming back, it was only when we had made the path ready. When the hearts of the people of this world were tender and merciful and peaceful and loving, it was then that Jesus would return. It was then that he would honor us with his presence, when we were deserving of it. I mean, what would happen if Jesus came and we weren't ready? What if we didn't speak his language? What if he told us stuff we didn't want to hear? Would it end up just like it ended up last time? I don't know. But in any 
any sense of the Quakers understanding a future time, it was always in regards to this, that we need to sort of make the runway ready for Yeshua to return. Now, of course, if you would ask George Fox or Margaret Fellows, they would say it's going to happen next week. All right, so get ready. Right? Or next month. Or soon. It's taken about 300 years. All right? So it may take a while. Apparently, the hearts are, it's taken longer than we thought for the hearts to get tender. But if you think about it in a way, it sort of just sort of makes sense. So anyway, I was in this line. God, it never ends. I mean, literally, just so... I don't know why it takes so long. I guess we're all bunched up together. I'm in this line, and I'm wondering about all this Christmas stuff around, all the carols and the, the holly and this, and that is just around me, and I'm like wondering about it, and I'm... And I said, gosh, why do we need it? What's it about? And I looked up at how old Christmas is. Yeah, well, the first time they celebrated Christmas... In the 300s, right? That's how long they've been celebrating. You know how many for Western Europe and sort of our folks, the Engels and the Saxons and the, those folks, the Germans, from about the 900, 900. So over a thousand years, these Christmas trees were putting up over 500 years old. There's something beautiful about this season that comes every year that speaks to our condition. If I can say that. It may not be the eternal that George Fox and Margaret Farrell, but there is something about it that is profound and speaks something deep in my spirit. Some connection that I have with my ancestors and my people. Something that goes to the heart of the matter, and I was trying to think of the best word for it. I can't think of a good word for it. you got to come up with it. But whatever that is that translates our experience and our connection to this season and this time. You know, this month we celebrate the birth of our Messiah. The birth of our Messiah. But not only that, we celebrate a birth where shepherds in this case, right, shepherds, they have to leave the sheep because they hear the voices of angels. They're able to hear the voice. They're open to hearing that voice of an angel and that we have wise men, wise men that are willing to follow a star when they don't know where that star will end up or take them. And yet they do it in faith. And in that faith, they went. And hope is a funny thing. You know, I got to the front of the line. I did get to the front of the line at the end. And by the end of that time I was in that line, I knew what this message was going to be today. Because in the midst of all the distractions and all the wandering thoughts and all the Christmas bells and things like that, and all of those things, I had glimpsed a sense of the true eternal. And even though it's almost impossible to put it in words, I had noticed the eternal of this season. The eternal of our lives and our families and our community. The eternal of us. 
And as I turned and sort of went away out to the broader world, now a free man, I glimpsed for a moment the true Quaker Christmas.